Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Happy New Year. It's January 10th, 2022. Uh, Visegrad Inside podcast, first episode this year. And uh, my name is Wojciech Przybylski, joined by Malik Banat. Um, we're in our virtual studio recording this podcast, wishing everybody um, first of all uh, health good health throughout the year and uh, uh, staying strong and optimistic as uh, as much as the circumstances allow and there are really um, many clouds over central europe especially in terms of security not only democratic security many of those uh, have been explained in our weekly outlook already published on our page and uh, just the upcoming uh, uh, foresight with an outlook for January and the next months uh, has been authored also by me. And um, both publications explain the main dynamic uh, that we believe is, uh, um, is going to be uh, determining the, uh, the case of the, 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 the type of events to be expected um, that will build up or undermine uh, democratic security in Central Europe. So, Balik, uh, why don't we focus on on several of them and and um, underline what uh, what's really important uh, to read? Oh, and before you do, let me just also um, advertise to our listeners a special. Uh, promotion only this month, January 22. That's the discount code at checkout for a yearly subscription. Now uh, only at 29 euro. Uh, so do subscribe if you haven't yet for a yearly subscription. It's um, it's off from 40 euro regular price, and now you can uh, subscribe for only 29 for the whole year. End of promo. <laughs> Malik. What's in our What's in store? What's in our shop for democratic security outlook for this week and what follows in the in the month and months ahead? Well, of course, welcome back to our readers. Happy to welcome you in and this new year. And uh, 2022 is coming at us pretty quick. So um, already this week, uh, we take it's the meetings we've all been waiting for. Um, this has been already a drawn out uh, development uh, that has been on our radar and that we've published uh, a lot on about in our previous outlooks. It's the buildup of Russian troops, which is still there, but now we're entering high level security talks. So in terms of the dates, just today as we're recording the outlook, uh, the NATO Ukraine Commission meets in Brussels, expected by a press conference with the Ukrainian Foreign Minister and uh, Secretary General of NATO afterwards. And then the US-Russia bilateral strategic stability dialogue, which is essentially the two, two, de two, two delegations discussing security in Ukraine and the region. Um, uh, what can be expected is a question I would have for you, Wojtek, but before that, we can uh, refer to what uh, US Secretary Anthony Blinken has said, that he expects dialogue, but no, not, not, not much breakthroughs. And his Russian counterpart commented in a similar fashion that he expects talks to be businesslike. Now, Wojtek, you are uh, currently in the process of drafting the monthly foresight where you talk about uh, Russia's so-called illegitimate zones of influence. So um, could you tell us more about what can we uh, expect and, and maybe uh, 
sort of break it down as this will be the headlines this week. Uh, so indeed, I, I uh, not only expect, I hope that there is no breakthrough. Uh, the scene uh, for the talks is set uh, predominantly by Russians. This was on the initiative of Moscow to have those talks, um, to answer to the uh, to the threats, both both verbal and uh, the threats of a potential invasion in Ukraine poised by um, amassed troops on the border, along the borders of, of Ukraine. And um, and Russia, for one another time, is trying to, uh, to show, to demonstrate that the post-Cold War order is, uh, is not there. Uh, it, 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 that it is being questioned, that it's not functional, and it seeks new uh, guarantees that would uh, that would meet their demands of dividing uh, Europe into the spheres of influence. Now, spheres of influence uh, is an outdated concept, um, indeed post Second World War concept of um, of uh, not allowing certain countries, uh, nation states, to decide their fate. Uh, that uh, that period ended with the Cold War um, and brought about the liberal revolution, a liberal world order, if you if you prefer, with a country's self-determination principle as to the choice of their alliances, as to the choice of um, of their democratic path ahead, um, has been essential to uh, the buildup of uh, U- United Europe, Europe whole and free, and is, has been uh, essential to the, to the changes that we've seen since 1989 across Central Eastern Europe. Russia has uh, aggressively uh, undermined that setup back in 2008 with the war in Georgia, then attacking Ukraine in 2014. And it continues to undermine the setup, the setup based on norms and values and principles, the uh, the world order, uh, the post Cold War um, order that was otherwise agreed before in the uh, during the Conference on Security and Cooperation in in Europe uh, that was uh, uh, preceding uh, establishment of the OSCE uh, in in. In, in anything that was uh, helping to to set the foundations of a peaceful and united Europe. In essence, uh, the US not only cannot agree to the demands of uh, Russia, which are about security guarantees uh, or even fallback of NATO uh, in, uh, in Central Eastern Europe, but it cannot accept even to uh, certain framing of the talks. It's essential that there are talks, indeed, that there is a diplomatic process, but uh, it cannot, uh, US or Europe for that matter, cannot accept that uh, Russia is setting the terms of the discussion as if there was uh, indeed a second Yalta. That's one of our earlier um, uh, weekly outlooks and uh, and and also topic of the monthly foresight where we have been underlying that this is uh, the, the 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 framing of Russia of the talks is uh, partly their goal to to be able to undermine uh, the security system further revisionism of this power um, is um, 
challenging not only to Ukraine, but to the whole setup of European security. So I don't expect much. Uh, the talks uh, will take place. Um, there will be maybe small points and nuances uh, that could be highlighted by both sides, but essentially so far so good from the point of view of uh, unity of the West. There is this effort to coordinate between US and Europe, which Russia may see as a weakness, but essentially this is the, the point um, to have a coordinated um, transatlantic approach to not to allow uh, on for um, you know something that would be a strategic mistake uh, for for any any loophole um, that could be used by Russians or any other further actor to say that there is uh, there is no international security guarantee uh, existing already and that we need to make remake the world anew. This would be very dangerous. I would also play into the hands of some of the liberal leaders like Viktor Orban who since 2015, since he signed a secret agreement um, with Rosatom, with, with Russians to provide nuclear uh, energy, has been actually speaking uh, from around the same time about the need to uh, need for a European revolution to remake the world order, blah, 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 to talk. Essentially, he, he provided a talk that, uh, that was uh, politically sponsored by, by Mr. Putin. Indeed, and uh, up till now, the the Russian narrative has, and I expect it to fully continue, has not not has not failed to reiterate this self perception of being a superpower and bringing the U.S. on stage, bringing them to Geneva, etc. Um, but the Biden administration has reiterated that uh, it, any 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 attempt at excluding Europe in uh, security talks will result ultimately in failure. And this is something you have reiterated as well uh, in your comments. Um, that the point is that to uphold the principles of the existing European security system, um, U.S. needs to keep in the loop its partners. And this means that Viktor Orban, that you mentioned, um, has previously on multiple occasions vetoed EU's common foreign policy positions uh, that would consolidate uh, a unified response to authoritarian regimes like Russia and China. Um, and a development that has occurred uh, in the past week um, that I would like to hear more about from you is uh, Trump's endorsement uh, of Orban for re-election in spring. Uh, and his, of course, praisal for Orban's strongman leadership is nothing new. Um, but uh, what uh, it, it, it seems unsurprising. But is there any significance there, Wojtek? Well, it it is surprising uh, for for one reason. Uh, simply, uh, Trump has been ignoring uh, Viktor Orban for uh, for the whole term when he was uh, when he was serving as a U.S. president. Viktor Orban never had a meeting uh, with Donald Trump, uh, despite um, despite he, the fact that he was uh, ardent supporter both of the Trump's agenda on migration, building the wall, and uh, and vocal uh, he had vocally endorsed uh, Trump um, in the re-election campaign. In um, and later also he was uh, he was. Uh, questioning the the, uh, the legality of the vote and so he played into the narrative of of, of, of Donald Trump 
Now, it's uh, it, it is going to be significant, of course, if uh, Viktor Orban loses uh, his campaign in uh, April. The latest in May, we will see national elections in uh, in Hungary. The government uh, and the opposition um, seem to be had to had in the opinion polls with about 50% of support uh, for either side. Election polls are not fully reliable because in, um, in, the, in the political game in Hungary, uh, not only the media, but also research has been heavily uh, politicized and we can't actually know for sure uh, um, you know, how, how reliable the data is. But various opinion polls show uh, a bit of a tilt towards the opposition, a couple of points above 50% for the op- United opposition, and then a couple of points uh, more for the for the government ahead of what is coming to be the most interesting elections of the of the of the past decade, with a possibility, a chance, not really a certainty, that Viktor Orban. Um, may be ousted, may, may lose that vote. And something that has once again come to my mind, uh, recently um, uh, an article that um, envisioned sort of the foresight analysis that we do um, from European Council on Foreign Relations. One of the scenarios it had for Hungary actually is uh, the, uh, the defeat of Mr. Orban in the Hungarian elections. But despite the defeat that uh, Orban is likely to mimic uh, President uh, Trump's, former U.S. President Trump's playbook by claiming that he has won and uh, the scenario envisions that he will improve on Trump's performance by actually remaining in power. What's your take on the possibility of this scenario? Well, there is a, uh, a risk, uh, not only in Hungary, also in Poland, uh, where elections are expected by spring 2023, that um, should the government uh, lose uh, elections, it would uh, uh, follow the tactics of uh, Mr. Trump, but indeed would not back down um, you know, when... Uh, legality of such action would be questioned. So um, losing a popular vote might result in still holding the power and waiting off uh, with a severe societal conflict, people on the streets, potential riots, demonstrations, um, undermining the overall performance uh, of the countries that we're talking about. I see it as a less likely overall. This is... um, uh, it, it is possible, but it's less likely. I um, would rather think that ultimately a pragmatic uh, and um, a pragmatic Viktor Orban is more inclined uh, to stay in the back uh, if he's ousted, if he even loses elections, stay in the back and with the assets he accumulated, including control over the media, uh, in an informal way, if the control of the state assets has been recently privatized, we also have written about it extensively, uh, to wait off the most difficult time for any government now across Europe and, uh, uh, and the world uh, during the pandemic and, and the, the, the rise of inflation, difficult economic situation. So um, to wait off uh, for the... Uh, for the problems to accumulate in the opponent's hand would not be also a strategy uh, alien 
to leaders like Viktor Orban and then uh, then Mr. Kaczynski. This is of course a gamble. It's all about gambling um, in the times of uncertainty like that. But we have seen um, that uh, Mr. Orban indeed is a gambler. A political gamble uh, has been serving him sometimes well, and sometimes he had to withdraw and take stake, uh, steps back. And such a gamble would be particularly costly with relations uh, with Visegrad partners like the Czech Republic. Um, And uh, last last week, the the new voice of the Czechs um, EU EU Affairs Ministry, uh, Mikuláš Beck, uh, made a comment that actually made a few comments that made uh, the headlines over media and pundits. Um, essentially calling out um, Hungary and Poland's rule of law crisis uh, and uh, accusing Warsaw and uh, Budapest for um, dividing the Visegrad cooperation format into two blocks where uh, on the one side we have Czech Republic and Slovakia uh, with cooperative relations uh, with the rest of the EU and then on the other side obviously the tense and conflict-stricken Poland and Hungary. So, uh, Wojtek, what do you make of Beck's comments and uh, how do you see um, the effect of uh, the new Czech cabinet's uh, adamant position on uh, the rule of, the repeated rule of law violations? That is very interesting. And uh, it's interesting also because the uh, majority of the center-right government, new government in uh, Czech Republic, is uh, is part of the same European political family as uh, PIS, government in Poland, uh, European Conservative and Reformist Group. Mm, that that is an offspring of uh, of a split in the European People's Party long ago, when the Tories basically pulled out some of the Central European allies away. Now. Uh, PIS uh, government um, could benefit from that and could try to build some new alliance with the Czech government, especially the Poland and Czech Republic. I, uh, Russia, and the security problems we mentioned earlier, in a very similar fashion, they consider uh, security threats coming from Russia, but then also from China, in a in a similar way, uh, aligned at least to the. Uh, to the lines uh, consider Polish national interest. But uh, it is not so. Poland is still choosing Hungary. It is um, it is not mending the uh, the gaps in uh, in the relationship, uh, um, for instance, over the uh, over the coal mine in Turów, the coal mine that is so uh, so uh, still unresolved case and that is being litigated in the European Court of Justice, um, where uh, the Polish ambassador, um, very closely aligned to the. Uh, um, to the governing party has been recalled only after two months amidst uh, amidst critical comments on the Polish government itself. So uh, you could consider it a diplomatic betrayal, and um, and Poland continues to uh, to uh, invest more heavily in relationship with. Uh, with Hungary potentially also offering some of the shares in its major uh, 
government control uh, oil company, Pekin Orlen, to um, mole company of Hungary, known to also have uh, very good relations with with uh, Russia. So. I don't see uh, comments by Mr. Beck uh, very far-fetched. They are actually describing reality in which Poland is actively undermining its very own position uh, on security and uh, get, is getting involved with uh, with an actor uh, like Hungary, which is pursuing multi-vector foreign policy, uh, totally misaligned with uh, national interests of Poland. All right. Uh, other than that, uh, I think it's worth mentioning also that uh, on our site this week, we um, we're writing about Estonia's role in the UN Security Council, an upcoming text by the same author that already portrayed um, the the potential rise of the far right in Estonia, Merili Ariakas, one of our marching crew fellow, uh, and uh, another fellow, Malina Mindrutescu from Romania, is going to publish on the digital future of Central Europe. Um, uh, also expect later this week, next to the foresight uh, that we talked about, Günther Verheger uh, comments. Um, quite an enter- entertaining read, uh, more a political fiction, but still, um, why not? It, it, it should um, generate some interest. Why the three C's countries uh, should adopt Euro and how Euro would strengthen all the countries, uh, several of which have not adopted Euro yet, but some, some have and several are on tracks with the exception of Poland, Hungary and Czech Republic. So definitely worth a read, an inspirational op-ed that was was submitted to Visegrad Insight recently. And be sure to, of course, if you are not already subscribed to us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, for uh, live updates on the situation in Central Europe, from Central Europe to our dear audience here at Visegrad Insight. Exactly. And uh, yeah. Thanks uh, for staying with us throughout 2021. We promise to do our best to keep you informed, interested, um, and um, entertained at some points with our interviews, uh, reviews of the text and events as they happen, and uh, more outlook and foresight provided by uh, our excellent transnational team. 